Welcome to Sisterhood, having conversations that matter with me, Laurieann Sheldrick, an incredible woman who support, encourage, and empower other women. While you are here, you will be supported. You will empower yourself so that you can be supportive to others and begin to fully embrace that we cannot be empowered women if we do not support those who are being disempowered. That is the magic that lies within sisterhood, and it only works if we do it together. The purpose of sisterhood is to create deep and meaningful connections with other women, have conversations that matter, because women need other women, and together we are going to be, do, and have all that we desire. It starts right here, right now, with me, my special guests, and with you. Let's begin. Welcome to the magic of sisterhood. Hey, welcome back. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's share. I'm actually taking a moment right now. I just finished this conversation with Leslie Davis. And at the end, she was talking about taking time to celebrate even just like the little minuscule things that we do throughout the day. And I just want to, even before I get into introducing you to Leslie, getting into this moment where we just celebrate something that we just did, something that we just completed, something that we just um, maybe are taking for granted. Let's just take a moment, all of us, just push pause and celebrate any little thing in your life right now. Big, small, little, the things in between. Doesn't matter. Take the time to celebrate. I'm celebrating this really beautiful conversation with Leslie. I am filled with immense gratitude for this conversation. Leslie Davis is the author of You Can't Eat Love, How Learning to Love Yourself Can Change Your Relationship with Food. Even just that title just brings up so much into my heart. And I hope that this conversation does that with you as well. It was such a beautiful ebb and flow conversation. It was very meaningful. And she was just so open about her journey. So again, I'm like filled with gratitude right now. And I'm just sending all of that to you. Sending all of that positive, gratitude, abundant energy over to you. I hope you feel it through your headphones, through your car, wherever you're listening right now. I loved this conversation because we talked about one of my favorite topics, which is emotions and love and loving ourselves. And I have been very open about my own journey with my body and loving myself. I had an eating disorder in high school and, you know, it was my way to like quote unquote control my emotions or to shift my focus away from the emotional discomfort that I was feeling. I felt like my life was out of control and I am someone who likes to be in control and I felt unsafe. So I used not eating or binge eating depending on where I was that day to control I thought I was controlling my weight as a way to cope. Obviously, I wasn't coping at all, but it was really a way to cope with these emotions that I didn't 
know how to name. I didn't know how to claim. I didn't know how to deal with. I didn't even know how to acknowledge them. So I really, really appreciate having another human being who I could have this conversation with who had those very, who had a very similar experience. And I'm sure that Leslie and I are not alone on this journey because our relationship with our body and our relationship with food and our relationship with ourselves mentally, emotionally, physically can be so complicated, especially when we haven't learned a, let's just call it healthy way to feel our very real, very human, very normal feelings. So I'm really hoping that this will provide you with some support with regards to even just acknowledging that you feel what you feel and it matters and it is normal and there is nothing wrong with you. I had a really big aha moment in our conversation. Leslie talks about how from a very early age, like when we go to the doctors as children, that doctor will say to us, you know, you go and you get your first shots or you go and whatever it may be, right? And the doctor will say, this might hurt, but I'm going to give you a candy at the end to make you feel better. So we start very early on with a program that a sugary treat will make us feel better. And the difference of, there's a difference of being better for you long term, you know, like uh, maybe if they gave you a piece of fruit, which of course they're not going to give you like fresh fruit at the doctor's office, even though that would be like really, really wonderful versus making you feel better temporarily, which is a piece of candy. Your brain doesn't know. The only thing that's being programmed into your mind is that that sugary treat is going to make you feel better, right? It doesn't know that that sugary treat Uh, isn't a long-term fix for, you know, emotional discomfort or even physical pain, if you will. So that gets stored into your subconscious mind from a very, very early age. And your subconscious mind is the memory bank. And it's the reason why, you know, we crave that food as adults, even when we think we should know better or should have more willpower. And While I was speaking to her and she was giving this example, I was like, oh my God, this has nothing to do with willpower. Like willpower is pretty damn hard when it isn't the habit because your subconscious is the part of your brain that runs the show. Like 90% of what you do is run by your subconscious, run by that memory bank. That's where habit comes in. So it's so important to put new things into our memory bank, but the only way to do that is through our experiences. So we have to change our experiences. We have to change our choices. We have to change the way we think about the choices we make that may not have been supportive, like all of those things. So yeah, that is, this is going to be a really great um episode for you to just have these what I think are like these aha moments because I had so many while speaking with Leslie the other thing that really struck me in the heart was how she explained that she became her own best friend and how she would write herself cards and she still does that today like really beautiful cards as though she were like writing to her best friend and um She said, you know, if you were to write to your best friend, what would you say to her? And that's a way to nourish that friendship that you have with yourself. So she shares that as one practice and she shares two practices at the end that you can begin to incorporate into your life right away, like right now. And also, if you need any support on developing a practice, um, 
where you can continuously strengthen your mental and emotional muscles, there are resources for you in the show notes as well. And I've added links for you in there. And then one last thing, I would love to hear what you think about this conversation. If you could head over to whatever listening um, platform you listen to um, this podcast on and rate it and review it, an honest review, an honest review. I'm not asking for a five star unless you like really felt like this was a five star. It doesn't matter. All I care about is an honest review so that I know what it is you're looking for. I know where I need to shift. If I need to shift, this podcast isn't just for me. It's for all of us. And I cannot grow this or learn or evolve this podcast without you, without all of you. So I'm so grateful for every single honest review, every single rating. It helps us to grow. It helps us to reach people all around the world so that they know that they are not alone, which is so important for me. I want people who are listening to know that they are not alone in what they're feeling and what they're thinking and just whatever experience they're experiencing right now. And as I always say, empowered human beings empower other human beings and we cannot do that alone. So you can subscribe and you can also follow along um, on our Instagram pages, which is, uh, we have two. One is at Sisterhood Connections Podcast or my company page at Contagiously underscore positive. Again, all of that, all of those links, all of the additional support, the way to connect with Leslie Davis, how to buy her book, how to learn more about her, all the magic links are in the show notes. I'm sending you so much love and I want you to I'm going to end with this. Please always remember this. You are good enough. You have always been good enough. And you will always be good enough. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you so much for being a part of the sisterhood community. I'm so grateful that you're here. And I said this just before I pushed the record button, but I'm just beyond grateful that you even just reached out, let alone are here with me for the next hour. Well, Laurieann, I'm just so grateful and I really am grateful for what you are doing because you're trying to have meaningful conversations with people about things that are really meaningful and thought provoking. And I think that that is so critical because we can get wrapped up in the garbage of the day and quit thinking about the things that that can make our lives better or that cause us to to think about our lives in a different way. So I'm just grateful and really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Well, right away. So you sent me a PDF copy of your book, which I had an opportunity last night to begin reading. And I was so connected to it. It's called You Can't Eat Love, which really just like struck me right in the heart, even as I say it now. And I had an eating disorder from grades eight to 11 before I was outed and got the support that I needed. And I can literally say without a doubt from my experience, you cannot eat love. Um, and right from the start of your book, you share, I'm just, we do big talk here. So I'm diving right in right from the start. You talk about that. You hated looking in the mirror and that you hated that you didn't care enough, um, to be healthier. So what I would love to start with is, was this an experience that 
you took with you since you were a young girl? Or was this something that just kind of came up when you entered into adulthood, if you will? Well, it was really something that started when I was growing up, you know, not being enough, uh, being less than, you know, uh, not being smart enough, uh, not being thin enough, not being, you know, whatever the enough is. Um, I, I felt that I or I heard that I wasn't and then I believed that I wasn't. Um, and, you know, not being lovable enough, not being in some of those things are myths and lies that we tell ourselves, but they're coming from the outside based on uh, pretend you're looking through a dirty window. Mm-hmm. Your perspective can be very distorted when you're looking through a dirty window. But if you don't have someone healthy and someone who is kind guiding you, you don't know that the window is dirty. And those things can start compounding as time moves forward because we are looking for things to affirm our beliefs. Because mm, we don't like them. exactly to validate them. And we don't want to change. If, yeah. if some information comes in that's different from what we are expecting, we discount it. We disbelieve it because, you know, how can all these other people, how can all these other things, how can all these other thoughts be wrong? So it was really just a compounding of things. And as time went forward, um, it just got worse and worse and worse. Um, and it really wasn't until I hit rock bottom um, with my oldest son that I said, you know, something, I, I, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go one of two ways. And I know which way I don't want to go. So I'm going to have to go the other way. And that was when I realized that I wanted to be healthy mentally, physically, and emotionally. Now, it's easy to say that. If I'd have known the hard work, I think I would have just quit and gone to the beach or something. to the mountains, head to the hills. (laughs) Something because the, you know, once, once you go on that journey to do the hard work, it's, um, it is hard work. Yeah. And if you don't do the hard work, which you obviously know, because you said that somebody outed you with your eating disorder and you got the support that you needed. So it probably was not just the support that you needed, but it was being willing to accept a different way. And I'm sure that you can speak about how difficult it was to change your thoughts, your beliefs, your habits, your actions. And that's what we have to do. We have to change all of that. And as humans, uh, we do not like change. I mean, think about this. As we're heading into the last part of the year, I can already feel myself saying, oh, my gosh, the year is almost over. And it's like something magical happens at midnight on December 31st. We start over again and we don't like it because we don't know what's happening. We have no clue what's in our future. Mm -hmm. But tomorrow we are recording today on September 30th and tomorrow is going to be October 1st. Well, it can be the same thing. We have no clue what October is going to hold. But October 1st, November 1st, et cetera, et cetera, don't hold the same power that January 1st does. Mm -hmm. It's a power that we've assigned to that date. So as humans, we don't like change. And then when we decide that we're going to go 180 degrees from where we used to be, holy cow, that is really terrifying. Absolutely. And I find especially, you know, because in your book, you talk so much about your relationship with food, changing our relationship 
with food is one of the hardest changes. Um, when we've not had a good relationship with food or with our bodies, mentally, emotionally, physically, like all of it, it's all encompassing. So that change brings up so much emotional discomfort that I think that's why so often we just stay on this, on this constant loop and trying out all these diets and nothing seems to work because we keep trying to change the physical when what really needs to change is the mental and emotional. And that is so difficult. That was the case for me. I didn't have a problem with food. I had a problem with my body. Um, I just thought food was going to solve that problem for me. As you say, you know, you can't eat love. And, um, and that's so true because growing up, and I'm sure this was the case for you, uh, so many of us, we're not taught how to feel all our really big feels. And then we, we learn and we grow and we enter into all of these really confusing phases. And then we have these programs and conditions and we take that into our adulthood and it begins to show up in other areas of our life, which as you talk about, often that's in our relationship with food. Well, exactly. And one of the things that um, I recognized, and I had, I had recognized it with my children, but I didn't recognize it inside of myself. If no. you think about this, and we go back to children, um, and you were just talking on your podcast where you were just decided to go live or record or whatever you were talking about, you know, the, the internal feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when children fall down, for example, we, we pick them up, we dust them off and we say that doesn't hurt. Even if they're crying, you know, they bump their head, they bump something and we say, Oh, that doesn't hurt. Well, that never made sense to me because I'm thinking, well, that did hurt, but you're telling me it doesn't hurt. And that's just not, it creates a cognitive dissonance. So from the time that children are very small, we are telling them to deny reality. Mm -hmm. So we can kind of take it into a little bit crazier realm if you want to. Always. Let's pretend, let's pretend, let's pretend that um, you believe that your shirt is black. Okay. Because I can see your shirt, your shirt is black. You believe that it's black. But if 10 people were to come to you and you say, I'm wearing a black shirt today, and they say, no, it's green. Mm then you start questioning your belief, is my shirt really black? And then you start believing what they are saying because they're constantly reinforcing the fact that it's green. Yes. You start to doubt yourself. Exactly. You start to doubt yourself. You start to doubt your feelings, your beliefs, your eyes, your ears, your heart. You start doubting everything. And then you start believing what the people are saying, because, you know, how can 10 people be wrong? They're telling me that it's green. So the next time you see something that's black and you're not with those 10 people and you say, well, isn't that a beautiful green car? And they're like, what the heck are you talking about? That car is black. No, it's not. It's green. And and so you see that causes, you know, tension inside of us because then we're like, okay, well, what is real? What isn't real? And we don't know what is real. We don't know what isn't real. And then that sends us off down to a path where we want to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, talking about the, the food as being a source of comfort, 
you see it in commercials, you see it in TV shows. You know, my least favorite commercial is a Kit Kat commercial where there's obviously a child on one side of the bathroom door and there's a parent on the other side of the bathroom door and the parent pushes a Kit Kat under the door to help the child feel better. How many times do parents say, let me give you a sucker? You go, I mean, I can remember going to the doctor's office and we would get lollipops at, you know, after the doctor's appointment to make it better. Yes. Instead of saying to the child, you know what, those shots had to hurt. I can only imagine how much they hurt, but it was just for a little tiny bit. And, you know, I I know that you were sad and I know that you were scared and I can just imagine you want to talk about it. Can you tell me about it? Instead of handing them a lollipop and saying, well, that didn't hurt. Mm. Let's acknowledge from the time that children are small that your shirt is black and not green so that when they grow up and something big happens, they have the ability, they have the tools, they have the knowledge, they have the emotional fortitude to be able to deal with it. And um, to head off down another rabbit trail, grief. My mother died 37 years ago. I didn't know how to grieve from my mother. It took, you know, doing a lot of this work to be able to really grieve from my mother and to be able to talk about it openly and honestly that I didn't know how to grieve. But when we, when we're children and something breaks or we lose something, we tend to say, you know, it's not important. It's okay. You'll get over it. You know, all of those platitudes. Mm -hmm. And why do we say those platitudes? Well, that's because that's what was said to us before. Does that make it right? Heck no, it doesn't make it right. It just makes it, it was. So if we can teach children from a tiny age when their toy gets broken, their toy gets lost. Oh my goodness, I can just imagine how sad you are right now. Would you like to tell me about it? Can I sit here and just hold you for a moment? And then, you know, once you feel, you don't even have to say to them when they feel better, they can go on because you know a toddler, when they feel better, they move on. But acknowledge acknowledge the pain, give them a moment to acknowledge the pain so that when they suffer a major loss, they are not absolutely wiped out. And not knowing how to deal with it and not knowing how to take care of themselves. Oh, it's, and that is something that I think is so important because now you and I, as grown women, if you're not taught to feel those really big feels as a child, you don't know how to deal with the really big stuff when you're an adult. So when you lose someone or you lose a job or you struggle financially or you gain you gain a little bit of weight or you have some health problems um, or someone disappoints you, you don't know how to process those feelings. So you're just like, oh my God, I have to keep hiding that. I'm just gonna stuff that down, stuff that down, stuff that down. But then it, your body just needs that comfort so much. So it starts to crave like other comforts, it, whether that be from like drinking or food or from toxic relationships, whatever it may be. So the more we teach children now to feel the really big feels, um, the less trouble they will have, challenge they will have when they do suffer grief. They'll still feel pain. They just won't take up permanent residence in it. Well, and also they would have the tools to be able to say, you know what, right now, 
what I need is I just need to sit quietly because I'm feeling very, very sad right now. And I really don't want to be around other people. Um, let, let me just feel sad for a moment. And then when I'm ready, I can come back around other people, but, you know, acknowledge the feelings. And I talk about it in the book that I had to learn the names of feelings. And it's not that I didn't know the names, but I had to learn to recognize what I was feeling and name it. Yeah, because I had been told so many times, well, that's not really how you feel. And how many times do you hear in conversation? Um, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Yep. Always. You, know, you, you are expressing your honest truth and the, the person or people around you say, well, you shouldn't feel that way. Um, you know what? I shouldn't feel that way. So that goes back to the black and the green shirt. You start questioning yourself. Well, part of the the discovery that I did was, yes, I should feel that way. And no, you cannot tell me how I should or should not feel. Mm -hmm. This is how I feel. And so I learned how to um, stand up for myself when people would try and give me pushback when I would comment about how I feel. And I would say, Uh, you don't get a vote. These are my feelings. And I'm just being honest with you about my feelings. Yes. And you don't get a vote on whether I feel this way or don't feel this way. Now, does that sound harsh and cruel and mean? Well, think about it. How harsh and cruel and mean is it for them to tell me that I shouldn't be feeling a certain way when in fact I do. And uh, as a very good friend of mine says, you know, when we stuff those feelings down, they come out sideways. You hear about the straw and the camel and all that kind of stuff. Well, the first thing that I would want to do is I would want to kill the pain. So how do you, what's the best way to kill the pain? Well, I don't know about you, but a whole bag of barbecue potato chips and some onion dip, they do a really good job for a moment. Or 18 of those soft sugar cookies with the fabulous icing on them. They do a really good job for a moment, but then you start laying in the shame. And then you start laying in the, what the heck were you doing? What the heck were you thinking? Well, the whole thing circles back to, it's not what I was doing. It's not what I was thinking. It's that I was trying to stop myself from feeling because I didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to process it. I didn't know that it was okay to sit in that feeling and that I was not going to die. Mm. Absolutely. I remember when I was a teenager before my eating disorder was outed, um, I was having a really bad night with friends. And it was one of those evenings I'm sure so many women can relate to when you're a teenager, all the good, not good enoughness comes in, you know, and you're just like overwhelmed by it. Everyone's having fun and you're sitting there like, just like, why am I not having fun? Why am I so sad? Why do I feel like I don't fit in? And I remember leaving and stopping at the convenience store and grabbing a bag of, of the biggest bag I could buy of sour cream and onion chips and feeling so much shame even going up to the counter as though like that person at the counter knew that like I was not good enough and I was just about to eat this bag of chips and I was so dirty and you know to eat them and I like like as though they can see inside your soul right then I went home and I go into my bedroom and I ate that entire bag of sour cream and onion chips and then I hid the evidence because that's shameful but I remember feeling so good eating each bite until the bag was done 
and then feeling so much shame that I had just ate that whole bag of sour cream and onion chips. And it was like this validation of, see, you are, you're not good enough. So we do that as, and again, as a teenager, knowing what I know now, it was just because I didn't know what to do with those feelings. Right. Because we, yeah, because we haven't been given a safe place to freely and wholly express our feelings. Yes. And so one of the things that I learned that I discovered that works for me now, and I'm not saying that the pain doesn't, has gone away. I'm not saying that the overwhelm has gone away. In fact, just recently I had something happen and I was just flooded And all I wanted to do was go to the store and buy a bag of barbecue potato chips and uh, onion dip um, in addition to the 18 cookies. But I said to myself instead, I said, okay, what is really going on? Mm -hmm. And um, I ended up eating, what did I eat? Uh, Like six small Snickers bars. And, And I said, okay, Something is going on. We need to figure this out. But you know what? First, what I want to do is I want to forgive you for doing that because something's going on and you just didn't take a moment to figure it out. And it must be so big that you felt that you had that the only way to stop the pain was to eat those six snicker bars. And so I have these conversations with myself. And if somebody were to hang around me all the time, they would think I'm crazy. I don't really care Uh, because to take care of myself, I need to do that. But the most powerful thing I learned is when I do make these other choices and that's what they are. I don't cheat. I make a choice. Yeah. I keep my power. When I make those choices that are not so great, I forgive myself. I say, you know what? It's okay. I know that wasn't really your first choice. It's all right. We're going to figure this out. Let's move on. So I forgive myself. I move on. I don't sit there in that shame like I used to saying, oh my gosh, I knew that you were going to do that. How could you have done that? Because you know, you're right. While you're eating those chips, it does feel so good. Oh my, you get to that empty bag. You reach in there. There are absolutely no crumbs left in the bag. And you're like, what the heck did I just do? Everybody is going to know that this is what I did. And as you're buying the stuff at the counter, you are certain, 100% certain that somebody has a camera running inside your mind and seeing what it is that you were thinking and going to do. And they know what you're going to do. But that's not the truth. No, the truth is not. all they see is you going up to the counter, you're buying the stuff and then walking out and they have no clue. Um, it's like I was laughing at myself yesterday. I decided because uh, Sonic up until 10 o'clock, you can get a large drink for a dollar. So I decided, okay, I, I would like a route 44, but I don't want to pay for the route 44. So I'll get two large drinks. And I ordered two large diet Cokes with no ice. And as I'm driving away, I'm thinking to myself, this is a story I'm telling myself, that person knows that I'm going to drink both of those drinks. And I was like, that person doesn't really care what I'm doing. (laughs) I placed my order. They filled my order. They got my money. I drove away next customer. So oftentimes we create these conversations in our minds that have nothing to do with reality. And so I've learned, you know, stop. That's just the story you're telling yourself right now. Why are you telling yourself that story? And we tell stories to ourselves 
constantly and we even tell other people's stories right so like this must be what they're thinking but it's true when we just stop it's like no it's not what they're thinking it's what I'm thinking and I love that you just in those moments give yourself so much grace um because like I know I've been um I've been doing this work for over 20 years. Plus I worked for many years with some really phenomenal um, coaches and therapists dealing with my eating disorder. The $71 billion diet industry wants you to feel shame, wants you to try and eat love, wants you to be in that like constant state of disordered eating. So it's like, we have to push all of that aside and really come back into doing that inner work because um, when we're so focused constantly on those external stories, that has an impact on us emotionally and mentally if we don't push that stop break and really pay attention to where our mind is going and what story we're telling. Right. So, um, I love that you are giving yourself so much grace in those moments, because I know there's women listening right now who are just like, Oh my God. Yeah. I ate eight chocolate bars yesterday and I'm feeling so much shame. I just created diet homicide. Why even bother now? Right. So I know that there's women listening. So I love your practice because it's so simplistic and you can do it in the moment. You don't need a tool. You don't need a thousand dollar program. You don't need anything other than just your own heart. Just saying, I forgive you. We'll make a different choice next time. Well, and, um, the 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 thing that I realized, and as you said, you know, the diet industry, they want you to fail. Yeah. They want you to feel deprived. They want you to do all of this because then you keep coming back looking for the magic bullet. Exactly. You keep coming back looking for the magic pill. You look for the magic surgery. You're looking for the, the magic. Well, let me tell you a secret. I'm going to, if you've seen the Wizard of Oz, you know, when Toto pulls back the curtain, it's the little man doing all the levers in the smoke and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Here's the big secret about the diet industry. They are taking your money because you are giving them your money because you want a magic fix. Mm -hmm. And the only magic fix is when you begin to acknowledge why it is that you are eating. And until you acknowledge why you are eating and start taking care of yourself and doing what I call filling the myself sized hole in your heart with love instead of food, you are going to continue contributing to the diet industry who is very willingly going to take your money. Absolutely. And, and the, uh, the better they can, or the more deprived they can make you feel, the more shame they can make you feel as a, as a consequence of failing on their diet and then going to the next one, yeah. the more you're driving that engine so how about this? How about if we make a commitment to fire the diet industry? How about if we make a commitment to learn what healthy eating looks like? Now, that's an easy thing to look for because you can go online and you can see, you know, this is what a healthy balanced diet looks like. You can go online for free. You can also um, uh, Google and I've got one on my website. Um, a calorie 
calculator where you can determine how many calories your body needs based on your height, weight, height, current weight and age. And then all you do is subtract, if you want to lose weight, you subtract 500 uh, calories from that calorie requirement. And then you can track your own calories. You don't really have to have an app. You don't have to pay anybody any money, but do it yourself instead of looking for the quick fix. And then as you are going through that process, say to yourself, well, why is it that I was eating these things before? Start having genuine, honest conversations with yourself. And let's fire the diet industry. That's one industry I would like to put out of business. Absolutely put them out of business. Me too, because it's designed to make you fail and make you feel like a failure. So um, I'm not saying that diet diets don't work. You may be able to go on that diet and lose the physical weight, but if you're not losing the, we'll just call it emotional and mental weight that you're carrying, you're just going to gain that weight back because you're going to turn back to food and that disordered eating. You know, I talked to a lot of women about my eating disorder that I had growing up. And they're like, well, I don't have an eating disorder. I'm not, I'm not anorexic and I'm not bulimic. And I said, yeah, but I want you to think about the disordered eating patterns you have and how you relate to food and how you shame yourself and, and all of that, right? Like if you know, an apple is better than a chocolate bar, why is it so hard to eat that apple? It's not a physical thing, right? It's, it, it's an emotional or mental thing for some that, that chocolate bar is giving you something. It's making you feel something. And what is that? Well, and you talk about the chocolate bar versus the apple. Um, those are habits. And if you go back and you think about this, okay, so you went to the doctor or you went to the dentist or you, you know, you did something and you got hurt and the parent says, or the doctor or whatever says, let me give you this, you'll feel better. And, and so from the time that you're small, you're being told that something sweet is going to make you feel better. And, wow. and so, you know, we lock those things into our mind. Well, yeah, you know, if you're offered a chocolate bar or an apple, I mean, uh, duh, which one are you going to pick? Which one is going to make you feel better versus be better for you? So one of, uh, among many things that I did, but one of the biggest things that I did was to help myself switch was that when I would choose the apple over the chocolate bar, I would celebrate that. Mm. Because when we're making these changes, you know, we've already talked about that dissonance. And whenever we're changing stuff, especially with regard to what we're eating and how we're eating, um, our body wants to stay the same. It, It doesn't want anything to change. We don't like that you know, let's just keep on going. Everything was fine, but our body likes to lie to us. And you know what? That's okay. Um, So I started celebrating anytime I did a small thing. Look at you. You picked an apple. That's great. You had a banana. Awesome. Uh, Let's see what we can make with non-fat Greek yogurt. Um, Let's see how we can substitute some uh, ultra pasteurized milk in this recipe. Let's see what we can do. And as I made the different choices, the better choices, I would celebrate that. Look at you. Yes, you did it. Because when we start celebrating the changes, it becomes easier to change. Absolutely. And that's being programmed into your subconscious brain as well. So now your brain 
that makes those decisions in those moments is talking to your body and you're not feeling that like emotionally charged in a negative way. So like it all starts to connect now mentally, emotionally, and physically, there's just this like wonderful celebration. And on that day that you eat the chocolate bar, you're like, yay, great. That was a wonderful treat. Let's move on. Exactly. Instead of saying, oh my gosh, you blew it. You cheated, you know, you might as well go uh, to the, you know, the nearest Mexican food restaurant and order the largest meal on the plate. And then, you know, hey, on the way home, let's stop by the grocery store and pick up half a gallon of a Rocky Road um, Bluebell. And also because, you know, we like it, we're going to get, you know, the Hershey's chocolate syrup to go on top of it. Um, and if we're really feeling bad, we're going to grab the can of whipped cream, uh, because you know what, we blew it because we ate that one candy bar and instead stop, stop yourself and say, you know what? I had a candy bar. I enjoyed it. It's okay. We're moving on. You know, you said something, you said something really important. It's like, just like ruminating in my mind. You said when we're young, we're given these treats, right? It's like, if you're a good girl, mommy will get you a chocolate bar, okay? So then we equate that to being a good girl. But then as we get older, we start to hear all of these stories about how these treats are really bad for us and you don't want to gain weight. And, you know, we start to get body shamed, whatever it may be externally and internally. And now we're like, when I eat that chocolate bar, I'm a bad girl. But there's a battle going on in our mind because what's programmed there from childhood and these neurons that are all wiring together are when I'm a good girl, I get the chocolate bar. So it's exactly. Like, oh, wow. Like, no wonder, no wonder it is so difficult for us when that's what's been programmed in our mind. And it's so true. And we just naturally do it. I naturally do it even to my nieces and nephew. If you're good, I'll give you a treat. And I will be very careful with that now. Well, and I would suggest that instead of saying, if you are good, Mm -hmm. that you make the presumption that they are going to be good. Yes, exactly. And instead of qualifying if you are good xyz mm-hmm. that you start noticing when they do things that you like just yeah. in general just start paying attention and you can do this with all the people around you Absolutely. start noticing when people do things that you like start noticing when people are kind start noticing when people do um you know good things and say to them you know i noticed the other day that you um, unloaded the dishwasher without me even asking. And I cannot tell you how much I appreciate that. It was so nice to see that the dishwasher was unloaded. And I'm just so grateful for you for doing that. And then stop talking, walk away, leave it alone. And then just start commenting. Hey, I noticed that you picked up your socks. Um, I really appreciate that because it saved me from having to, you know, look for socks. Um, my husband used to leave the honey sitting out on the counter after he made his coffee, made me bananas. No, it was not a big deal to move the honey from one side to the other side, but it was just one of my things. Yeah. He started putting it back where it belongs. I noticed that you put the honey back. Thank you. I really appreciate that because I didn't have to worry about remembering, you know, to move the honey. Yes. Um, And as we reinforce these things that we notice that people are doing, they will start doing more things to get noticed. So instead of saying to your nieces, 
um, if you're good, I will get you a treat. Instead, say, you know what? The last time we went to wherever the heck it is you're going, the last time we went, I noticed that you did whatever the heck it is you noticed. Make up something if you need yep. to. Uh, and I really appreciate that you did that. I was so proud of you for doing that. And then just stop talking. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of validating or celebrating things. I mean, it's fine to have a celebration around food, but as a reward system, children see that as when I'm a bad girl, I get this. When I'm a bad girl, I don't. When I'm, when I'm a good girl, I get this. When I'm a bad girl, I don't. Um, so then we get the good girl syndrome, which creates a whole new slew of problems. And then perfectionists and our body has to be perfect. And we have to be perfect because we have to be good little girls to get the things that we want to get. And if we're bad, um, then we're not going to get the things that we want. So it's so fascinating how the brain works from such a young age and how it transforms into our adulthood. It's still the exact same thing. It's just wrapped in different packaging. Right. And, and if yeah. you think about it, you know, you tell children you need to eat everything on your plate. Mm. So um, yeah. my, my husband and I had you know, a huge fight about that. And I would he would say, well, they're wasting food. I said, no, they're not wasting food. They are learning their limits. Yeah. And so I never impose that you need to eat everything on your plate. And um, I have three boys and not a single one of them has an issue with their weight. Um, as a consequence of learning, you know, they, they learned when enough was enough, but food was never, um, uh, a reward or, uh, food was just food. I mean, that, that's all it is. They don't like cakes. They, you know, they're, they don't really like chocolate. Um, but that, that's because food was never anything other than food. So when we teach children that food is more than food, Mm -hmm. that food, that food is a payoff, that food is a reward, that food is um, that carrot. Mm -hmm. If you do this, then this will happen. If you don't do this, you know, I'm going to withhold food from you. Well, then food becomes um, a weapon, really. It becomes a, a weapon and not for good. Because when they are out of the childhood age and, you know, moving into teenagers um, and they have access to food other than the food that you are providing, Mm -hmm. they have no clue how to choose how to um, portion or even how much to eat. And that was part of my problem. I had no idea, you know, what portions were because food was not important to our mother. I'm the oldest of six kids. So there are eight people Uh, We lived where there wasn't a grocery store right by. So she would go grocery shopping for two weeks and she would make sure that everything was portioned out to last for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And so we lived, you know, under very strict portioning. And it's not that we didn't have, it's just that we lived under strict portioning. Um, And so when I got to college, and I say this in the book, you know, forget the freshman 15, you can go through the line more than one time, really. Yeah, Yeah, that makes so so much sense. Yeah. It was so overwhelming. Yes, we teach our kids how to ride bikes. We teach our kids uh, how to read. We teach our kids how to do all these things. But how often are we teaching our kids what and how to eat? Yeah. And don't go to the other extreme of saying, I'm not going to have chips and cookies and ice cream and all that stuff in my house. Because then that's just as bad as what the diet industry is doing. That's setting up that deprivation mindset. Well, what happens when you enter in deprivation mindset? 
you want whatever the heck it is that you are being deprived of. Absolutely. Talk about the bad, the bad boy syndrome. Why is it that the good girl wants to be chasing after the bad girl? Well, be, why? Because the parents said, well, you can't hang around with the bad boy. Yeah. Okay. Well, ice cream, cookies, cakes, those are the bad boys. You can't hang around with those. Uh, yeah. Hide and watch. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you don't have it in the house growing up um, and you're constantly being told how bad it is, how bad it is for you, how shameful it is to eat it. You're going to gain weight. Um, oh, like all these stories that we hear again, usually from um usually from whoever the women are in the house that are struggling with their weight as well. They're telling these stories like, Oh, you better be careful or you're going to be like me. Um, and then it just creates these new stories in that, in, in that young mind that then they take with them. And I love the whole concept around you can't eat love because I think so often, you know, I think about my own experience with my eating disorder and my own experience with food I really was to some extent trying to maybe not love, but trying to eat my feelings or not eat my feelings because um, oftentimes I would starve myself till then I binged. It really was a love component because I didn't love myself. And you said something in your book that really hit me. And I just want to know if this was like the, the missing link for you that really helped you to not just lose the physical weight, but the emotional and mental weight as well, was you really embrace that you are your own best friend. Oh, that was an eye opening moment for me. Because Can you talk about that experience, because that just really hit me on the heart. Well, it was um, around, and I talk about this just a little tiny bit in the book. Yeah. Um, it was around Valentine's Day, and I was looking at these Valentine's cards, and I'm going to try not to cry. Um, I was looking at these Valentine's cards, and I was thinking of sending Valentine's cards to my kids and, and their girlfriends. And I was thinking, you know, how nice it would be if somebody would send a Valentine's card to me. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really know how to verbalize that that yearning. Mm -hmm. And I picked one up and I was like, Oh my goodness, it would be so nice if I were to open my mailbox and this Valentine would be in there from somebody telling me, you know, how wonderful I was. And I stood there for a moment. Um, and I said, I'm going to buy it and I'm going to send it to myself. Mm. So I went home and I sat down and I still have the card. Um, I keep it and I've added to it, but I sat down and I wrote to myself as if I were my very best friend in the whole wide world. And when I got to the end, um, I was crying and I was like, oh, you know, this is so wonderful. And that was when it really, really hit me. You know, that's what I want. That's what I'm yearning for is that very best friend in the whole wide world, that person that I can share my deepest, darkest secrets to and with, and they can share back with me. And I can express these feelings that I don't know what to do with someplace safe so that um, I can have that conversation. And yes, that was a light bulb moment because it was releasing me from looking outside of myself, what was already inside of myself, just hiding. And so many times 
we are looking for other people to give us something and it's really already there inside of us yeah. and discovering that my very best friend in the whole wide world was already there inside of me, always with me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I didn't need to go looking for validation. I didn't need to go looking for words of affirmation, anything else from anybody outside. Mm-hmm. I could do that for myself on the inside. And that was huge, absolutely huge for me. That's amazing. And I love that because I like to give the women who listen like really practical tools that they can, that they can take from this conversation and put into practice. And how easy is it to just sometimes not so easy when we don't really believe it yet. But if you were to write to your best friend, what would you say? Um, they could just sit down and write a letter to themselves as though, you know, this is the letter that I would want to receive from my best friend. We can do that right now, today, in this moment, just push pause and just write that letter. All the things that you want to hear externally, say them to yourself. And wouldn't like I can imagine as you allowed that to grow and developed and really nourished that and nourished that friendship with yourself, passing that mirror and looking in the mirror probably started to get easier and easier. It, it did because there was somebody who loved me no matter what. And that's really what we are all searching for. We are searching for real unconditional love. <sighs> We are searching for that one person who is going to love us no matter what, Yeah. no matter what we do, how crazy we are, how silly we look, that one person who is going to say, you know what? So you did that. It's okay. Let's move on. Yeah. Um, and I continue to buy cards as I see a card and I'm thinking, you know, I sure would like to send that one to myself. So I, I have cards that I pick up and I stick in, in my calendar and I'll put, take one out on occasion. I always send one to myself every Valentine's day now. So I've got, you know, quite a few cards. Um, but I keep them on hand because there are those days when I need a letter from my very best friend in the whole wide world. Yeah. I, I need to hear that. But when we keep searching for that validation on the outside, Mm -hmm. um, we're, we're going to be disappointed each and every single time, you know, your spouse, your significant other, your children, your parents, they can, um, they can say, I love you no matter what, but you're always like, really, do you really? Because I remember that time when I did X, Y, Z, and you told me that you were ashamed of me, or, you know, you told me I wasn't enough, or, you know, there's always that, that lurking, uh, really, yeah. are you sure? But your very best friend in the whole wide world truly does love you no matter what. Mm-hmm. And so building that relationship was just absolutely mind blowing because then I always have somebody to talk to, even when I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. But I also talk to my very best friend in the whole wide world when I'm doing amazing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because that's what we do. If we have a very best friend in the whole wide world, that's the person that we're picking up the phone and calling and saying, Hey, guess what? I uh, made it home in five minutes instead of 25 minutes. The traffic was, you know, there was no traffic. I think this is so, it's such a beautiful concept to me because I talk about this often about loving yourself 
And one of the things that I say is if you can't love yourself, you're never, ever, ever going to truly believe it when someone tries to give you a compliment, express their love towards you, because there's always going to be this part of your mind, this limiting belief that creeps in that's like, mm, well, maybe I don't entirely trust that. So it's, we can't ask for the external world to give us what we're not willing to give ourselves. And that is that love that I am. And I can see that, you know, every single time I treat myself really well and follow my inner guidance system, every single time I don't shame myself for making a mistake because I'm a human being who's going to make mistakes. That's exactly how I would treat my best friend. Exactly. And, um, the other thing that, that happens is so many times I've heard parents say to their children, if you loved me, you would do X, Y, Z. Yeah. And, and we even get, you know, significant others. If you loved me, you would do X, Y, Z. And I started recognizing that people who are putting qualifiers on their love, first of all, they got a problem. Second of all, they really don't love me. Yeah. Um, and so by learning to love your, yourself and by learning to trust your very best friend in the whole wide world, it doesn't make any difference what the people outside of yourself are doing because you know that you are worthy. And then when somebody, if somebody were to say to you, if you loved me, you would do, you know, whatever you could say, it really has nothing to do with me loving you. It has to do with how much I love myself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And if that's going against your grain, then you can stand in your own truth and say, you know what? It's okay. If you believe that I have to do that in order for you to love me, you know, I'm just not. Well, it's no longer love because it has conditions on it. Correct. Love doesn't have conditions. So that's so, that's so wonderful. And that self-love giving to ourselves I can see how that would change our relationship with food because it's no longer about I'll only love you if you make the perfect choice every single moment and you look the perfect way and act the perfect way. It's like, I love you regardless of what you choose in this moment. Right. And the other part is um, I learned that there's only one person that I can control in the world, and that is myself. I have zero control over what anybody else does. So as I got stronger and stronger in loving myself, I was able to uh, not so much push back, but set boundaries, stronger and healthier boundaries with the people around me and release control over them. Because, you know, if I've got an expectation of somebody else, if I'm not able to clearly verbalize it, well, then I'm still holding on to control. But if I can clearly verbalize what my need is, then I have clearly verbalized my need and it is up to them to either accept it, reject it, ignore it. But I have no control over their action. So I I hold on to my control and I talk about make sure that you take back your power. So by learning to love myself, I was taking back all this power instead of giving it away to food, to people, to, you know, whatever uh, other self-harming types of things, but hold on to your power, keep your control and accept, understand, realize you can only control one person and that is you. 
we are not even in control of our children, even from the time that they are small babies. The only thing we have control of when they're a baby is where we set them down. That's it. <laughs> you know, we can't control when they eat, sleep, or do anything else. Um, <laughs> so the, the sooner we accept that we are only in control of us, the easier it gets because we're not busy trying to be in control of everybody else, which comes back to, you know, that self-love. And I talk about putting your own oxygen mask on. If we're busy taking care of everybody else, controlling everybody else, worrying about what everybody else is doing to our own expense, we are pouring, as they like to say, from an empty pitcher. Yep. So self-love is taking care of ourselves first. Mm-hmm. You know, making sure that our needs are met, that our desires desires are realized, and that our dreams, you know, do come true. Mm-hmm. Because the more that we give out to people who are not able to pour back in, the emptier we get. Mm-hmm. And the only person to whose expense it is is ourself. And I say, you know, if you're on an airplane, you have 30 seconds to get your oxygen mask on. And if you're like me, like I used to be, you run around and you put everybody else's oxygen mask on. And I was even putting oxygen masks on people who didn't need oxygen masks. And then, you know, you're laid out in the aisle because you got 30 seconds. And all those people step over you as they get off the plane and they look at you and they say, well, there's that nice person who helped me. And about, you know, maybe once a year, they may think about you, maybe. But where are you going to be? Where are you going to be? So those times when you say, I need to go get a mani-pedi, or I need to go to the park by myself, or I need to just go sit in the parking lot for a little while, that is not selfish. That is self-love. That is self-care. That is refilling your tank, refueling your car so that you can go again. Because if you're operating with an empty tank, you're going to be pushing the car. Absolutely. And you're not doing the people that you're just trying to give everything to anyway, you're not doing them a service because you're irritable, frustrated. You're not lovable. They feel a little resentful. Like, Oh God, like I better not ask, you know, for anything else. So the more we do pour into ourselves, the more we have to pour into others in such a loving and healthy way you know, without any resentment or that frustration or irritability. Uh, I remember before I started to really embrace that it's not selfish to put myself first. I just remember like having this feeling of constant resentment all the time and feeling really frustrated and angry. But when I started to take care of myself, it had a domino effect around everyone around me they acted differently around me because I was putting myself first and it's this beautiful healthy boundary but it's all these things we think of that's dirty word like right like self-care it means we're selfish taking time for ourselves we're selfish who's going to take care of everything else boundaries ooh, boundaries dirty word it's all these things that I just wish we didn't have like this like dirty word syndrome around as though it's a bad thing because again someone some at some time said you're selfish you're selfish you're selfish you're selfish I, I you know I even had this and this is not um 
with regards to, to our bodies. But when I decided not to have children, so many of my like really, really good friends and family were saying, you're so selfish. I can't believe you would make that decision. You're so selfish. And I started to feel really bad about myself. And I remember sitting in therapy one day being, and my therapist was like, what's going on? Like you're, you know, just, you just seem to not be yourself. And I said, I think I'm a bad person. I think I'm a really bad person. And there's something in me that's broken. There's something in me that's broken. And so we talked about it and she was like, why? I'm like, because I don't want children. And she started laughing as though, and I'm like, why are you laughing? Like, this is real feeling. This is real feeling. I'm such a horrible person. And she's like, no, you're just, you're making a choice for you. The most selfish thing you can do is to ignore that have the child. And I, and she's like, I guarantee you, you will be back here all the time saying, I'm such a bad mother. I'm such a bad mother. I think I'm a bad mother. She's like, there's nothing selfish about following your own heart and what works best for you. She's like, the only reason everyone else doesn't understand it is because it's not the decision that they would make for themselves, period. And in that moment, it took me a while to really embrace it because you do so often when we're not following the path that everyone else is following, we feel like something's broken within us. And that's the, that's where it comes back around to understanding how valuable we are and being able to uh, have that relationship with our very best friend in the whole wide world, because that person is going to understand our thoughts and our feelings and acknowledge, well, of course you feel that way. And the reason that you feel that way is, you know, ABC and you'll be able to verbalize it and they will be able to come back to you, you know, and you can have that healthy conversation. Um, But when we go against what the norm is, you know, societal, familial, whatever, and we're going against it, that causes friction and people don't like friction. Mm -hmm. It's just like when we start changing um, how we're speaking to ourselves, and we start changing how we're eating and we start changing anything in us. And I didn't tell anybody that I was going on this journey but people started noticing it. And my husband was like, I don't like the change. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I ignored him because I wasn't giving him a choice. He didn't get a vote. Um, I didn't have any control over him. I could only do something about me. But people want us to do what they want us to be lemmings. I mean, let's just call it what it is. They want us to be lemmings. They want us all, when everybody starts falling off the cliff, they want us to fall off the cliff too. Yeah. They, they don't want us to be that lone wolf who is saying, you know something, you guys can go jump off the cliff. That That's fine. I think I'm going to hang out over here for a while because this is where I am comfortable. Mm-hmm. This is where I am being true to myself. This is what I need to do for me right now. Yeah, I love that. I feel that I just this whole just it's a brand new concept or just way of looking at putting yourself first and loving yourself first in a way that you explained it today in a way that's way more powerful, I think, than just saying, go have a self-care day with your girlfriends and get a mani-pedi. It is so much deeper than that. It's like right to your core, mentally, emotionally, physically, where your whole body, mind, and soul just feels like, I deserve this moment to just put a little bit of oxygen into me and 
um, without shame, without blame, without having to justify it, knowing that it will have a ripple effect on your whole life, your whole day, including what you choose to eat next. It's all connected. Well, and you mentioned justifying. Um, People around us, they want us to justify our actions. Mm -hmm. And I will say to you, you cannot ever justify your actions to the satisfaction of somebody else. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any difference. I mean, think about it. How many times have you said you're going to do something and somebody says, well, why are you doing that? And then you try and explain it and they keep pushing back against it. And then you start doubting yourself. Yeah. Or you you do it in secret and don't tell them that you did it. So when when we make when I make a choice of something that I'm going to do, if I've thought about it, I've researched it, I've really, you know, even prayed about it, tried Mm -hmm. to decide, is this the best choice for me? Is this something that I really need to do? Is this something I really believe in? I will make a statement about it. I am going to do X, Y, Z. And then when all of the pushback comes or the, why are you doing that? All that stuff starts happening or the uh, demand for justification for my actions. I just say, you know what? It's just what I want to do right now. And this is what's right for me. And I leave it because we can never, ever, ever justify anything to the satisfaction of people who don't understand what it is that we are trying to do. Never. No. And it's this really beautiful reframe, I think, of, you know, we always, we don't celebrate someone taking care of themselves when their life is going really well. And they're doing that so their life stays well. But we celebrate them when they're at a rock bottom and they climb up. Right. So it's like what you're saying is we're trying to not be at the rock bottom anymore because we do when we get into that justification system that or that that, you know, that way of just being like, this is why I'm taking care of myself. We start to tell all these stories. Well, I'm doing this because I was burnt out. I'm doing this because I now have an ulcer. I'm doing this because blah, blah, blah. And then we're celebrated and then it's validating for us and we do it and it's really good. But we need to get to the point where we're just like, yeah, I had a really wonderful day today, but it was busy and I'm taking time for myself now and I'm going to go do this right now and I'm going to create the healthy boundaries. And it would be really wonderful to be celebrated for that, but we probably won't. So we have to do it ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. And understand that we cannot get from the outside what we already have from the inside. And so stop looking outside for validation, for celebrations, for all those things, um, because we already have it. And if we do get it from the outside, well, that's a bonus. That, That is, that is a bonus. Yeah. That's the icing on the cake. It is. No, it's not the cake. It's the icing on the cake. And we are not also, we are relieving the other people around us of the responsibility to give us what we already have inside of us. Then they really can be the icing on the cake and not the cake. It's taking your power back. As you keep saying, like really putting yourself in the driver's seat, put yourself in the driver's seat, keep control, stay on the road. Don't let yourself fall off. 
I'm just, I could speak to you forever and I just noticed the time and I want to respect your hour while also taking another hour from you, but I'd love to just end with where would you recommend? Cause I know women listening right now are just one, they're going to go get your book, which I will link in the show notes and find all of your beautiful magic. But where can we begin if we're on this journey, whether it's with our body, self-love, self-care, loving ourselves, becoming our best friend, what's a really beautiful, simple start to begin this journey? Well, the first thing that I would suggest is either get a piece of paper or the next time you're at the grocery store, whatever store, or run to the store right now, something, <laughs> get a card. Yep get a fun color pen and sit down and write that first card to your very best friend in the whole wide world Mm. and be honest, be open. If tears fall on the page, let them fall on the page, but just celebrate you Mm. and tell you how wonderful and amazing you are and how lovable you are and how creative you are. Just, you know, all of those over the top things that you would really love to hear from somebody do that today. And then the second thing that I would suggest is if you're trying to go on a journey of make, of helping yourself be better physically, mentally, and emotionally, get clear on why you want to do it. Get really clear on why you want to do it. And I have kind of a a guide to help you get really clear on why on the website. Um, Because if we're not crystal clear on why we want to do anything, then it's easy for us to get distracted and to fall off the the path. That why becomes that like keystone point that like inspiration, that motivation, that reminder that we need when we're just not feeling it in that moment. We're like, okay, that's hard, but look at what, look at why I'm doing this. So I love that. And I will link that for everyone in the show notes, because I think it's so important for women to listen to this conversation, but then also to leave and be like, okay, I listened to the conversation. I was inspired by it. But now what? Now they have the now what? They have two <laughs> practices that they can do, which I love. And thank you for sharing that because it's important oh, well, thank to me you. because it's how I learn. It's how I learn. I love to be inspired, but I love to know how to, how can I take that inspiration and take inspired action now? So I love both. It's like use turning that, using that lesson and like turning it into knowledge, right? And you usually for so many of us, that knowledge comes from putting it into practice, which I know that's been the case for me. None of nothing works in my life unless I'm like practicing it. I'm not a patient person. I practice being patient. (laughs) And it's same with loving ourselves, right? Like loving ourselves doesn't always come naturally. It can be a practice of loving myself of, I didn't love myself very well today. That's okay. I'm in the practice of loving myself. So in the next available instant, um, I can choose something that's more loving. Well, and the other thing that I sometimes say to myself is if I get disappointed that I'm not feeling the energy to do something, I will say to myself, um, you are a person, for example, the gym, that's an easy one. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to go to the gym. 
Okay. Yeah. But you know that you, that that's something that you need to do and it's something that's important and you've already established it as some level of importance, but you really don't want to go to the gym. So what I will say to myself is I am a person who goes to the gym. Now there are no qualifiers on it. It doesn't say I go for 30 minutes. It doesn't say I go for two hours. It doesn't say I work out. It doesn't say I do anything. I'm simply a person who goes to the gym. So I go to the gym and I stay maybe 15, 20 minutes. I celebrate that. Why? Because I am a person who goes to the gym. Mm. I don't put anything else on it. I don't shame myself about anything like that. So if you've got some things that you're struggling to do that you want to do that you've ascribed some level of importance to, instead of saying, you know, I really don't want to do that, um, like the laundry, I can't stand doing the laundry, I find it to be a waste of time. Uh, <laughs> but they don't make dis- disposable clothes yet. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say to myself, I'm a person who does the laundry. You know, that, that's unemotional. It's simply yeah. a statement. I'm a person who does the laundry. Okay, great. You know, I may not do the laundry perfectly. I may not oh. do it. Every, but you know what? I'm a person who does the laundry. Hallelujah. I did the laundry. That is so amazing. And I got everything folded and put away. Wow. What a bonus. So do, do those things. They may sound like tricks, but that's the way our mind works. We, we have to do that. Our mind is playing tricks on us. So we have to be little tricksters with it as well until it becomes the norm, until it becomes our new habit and conditioned. I always think of my brain as a little computer system and I'm the one who has to enter the code. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise I'm going to get the wheel of death that just circles around right? <laughs> like, and freezing all the time. So I, I love that. It's all these little practices that we can do, these conversations we can have with ourselves ourselves um, that are so helpful. I talk to myself all the time. So you're talking to my soul today, the writing, the talking to yourself. It's all practices that I do because I've learned that I'm probably not going to get it from the external world. So I've got to give it to myself. And I have also learned there's nothing more important than my mental, emotional, and physical health. And the three of them are connected. They're not one being. And, you know, when you work on one, they, they they're all connected and when you don't work on one they're all connected as well so i think this is so important for women to to really hear that it's like we're not talking about dieting and don't eat this and don't eat that we're simply talking about celebrating who you are loving yourself and celebrating all these little moments i love the celebration i'm going to start doing that like good for you like look at what you did today like even after this conversation i'm going to be like good for you like celebrate the, the, this conversation I just had with you, Leslie, instead of moving on to the next task, just taking a moment to be Mm -hmm. in celebration of it. Exactly. Exactly. And how fun is it? I mean, we give stars, we give stars to kindergartners. Why not give stars to ourselves? Exactly. I feel that like you taught me something I just never even thought of before. Like I don't celebrate things. I just move on to the next thing. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for this. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you for being here with me. I will put all of your magical links in the show notes so that everyone can find you and learn from you. And I really am just so grateful you took the time today. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I'm so grateful that you let me join you. Oh, you are very welcome.